Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Coming to you from Eggplant Studios in downtown Toronto, this is Jim Rats and Joints with Javon Shepard, Andy Routens, and Dan Gladman. Jim Rats and Joints is brought to you by Henderson's Brewery. The best beer is the beer you love. For producer Dan Wong and myself, Jeff Cole, let's rack it up, Danny G. Hello from Toronto, Canada, Earth. It's Wednesday, March 24, 2021. I'm Dan at home, joined on Zoom by Javon Shepard and Andy Routens, two former Canadian ballers at the pro, international, and college level which makes them perfectly suited for a chat today about the sport of basketball. There's so many places to start with the NBA trade deadline hours away, but to me, we open with March Madness. Basketball fans everywhere love the NCAA tournament, but nothing can come close to actually playing in it. Shep played two games in the tournament for Michigan in 2009, and he played in many tournament games at Syracuse, including landing in the Sweet 16 in 2010. This is incredible to me, but in a tournament of upsets, Michigan and Syracuse are still a lot and could be headed on a collision course toward a meeting in the championship game. Guys, are we looking at a Syracuse-Michigan final on April 5th in Indianapolis? Let's go. I'll tell you okay. what, Shep. The Syracuse train is a freight train with nothing to lose. No, 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 no. Freight. We're not having it. We're not even having it. We're not having, we're not doing this. But no, you know what? I once see a lot of weight on your back, man. A I'm lot only of weight. saying this once. I'm only saying this once. I put it on record. No, no, no. This is off record. We're, oh, off record. We're, we're, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm you slightly, you're on record. I'm slightly torn because Syracuse was always my dream school, so I don't yeah. want to see this matchup. Okay. I, I definitely don't want to see this matchup, but if it happens, we already know how it's, how we're giving it up. Bleed blue. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna see, man. It, they it, got some work would, to do before they get there. It, it would be incredible, and I'll say, yeah. as a kid growing up watching ball in Toronto, Michigan and Syracuse were my two dream schools and two teams that I cheered for: um, Sherman Douglas, Derek Coleman at Syracuse. Oh, yeah. The Fab Five at Michigan, even before that, their championship uh, in '89, Rumiel Robinson. Glenn Rice, I, I would absolutely love a Michigan-Syracuse final, not to mention you two guys against each other. Yeah, but yeah. let me ask you two both. Like, is it the proximity, is it the location of Michigan and Syracuse that makes them favorites to you guys, like being Canadians? Or what is it? Why were they equally like both two schools that you guys grew up watching? I, think, I, I actually think it's proximity one, and yeah. they both have you know historic programs. But then that was the closest okay. Think about it. Like before, we even had NBA teams. Those were our closest teams, or, right. or you know, any significant or you know, highly heralded schools or basketball programs, um, whether it be professional right. or collegiate, that we 
would have any connection or, or consider our own, I would say. And then for me personally, I just, just, you know, we watched Carmelo, you know, run through that, that NCAA tournament, the, wearing the mid high, yep, yep. mid high socks, the headband. Like, oh, he brought bro, that cool. Well, let, I mean, I, I'm, I'm older than you guys. I grew up in the 80s. Um, there wasn't, you know, there just wasn't much college ball on. And I'll, I'll be honest, the, the reason I was, I even first heard of Syracuse, Andy, is because of your dad, Leo. You know, his name was in, I, okay. I used to read the Toronto Star Sports section, and there'd be this little thing, Leo Routon, Syracuse, beat Georgetown. And, right. and so that made me aware of Syracuse. The, the Blue Jays, who I followed really closely as a kid, their farm yeah. team was in Syracuse. That's right. That's so, right. The Syracuse Sky Chiefs. That's right. The Sky Chiefs. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I do think the proximity had something to do with it. But but Michigan, honestly, I just loved the players. The players okay. were so badass. Even bef- like the Fab Five, obviously, like we've talked about it. They they change every, you know, they changed everything. But yeah. man, when Glenn Rice was a, a college player at Michigan, I loved Glenn Rice. Like Glenn Big Dog. He was basically, him and, uh, him and Reggie Miller to me are the first three-point bombers, uh-huh. you know, in, in the college game. So, oh, yeah. So, I so, think it also helped. It also helped with uh, Michigan. Obviously, the Fab Five, and like you said, they were just they were just tough. They were they were hip. They were cool. They were black socks, the baggy shorts. But then, like we had a taste of of them here because you know Raptors had Jalen Rose. They had you know Jimmy, Jimmy King, King had a cup of coffee here. So there was that connection again. And then you're always hearing you know the Fab Five stories, and then these guys are in and out of the city. So uh, I think that has has plays a part in it too. C- compelling, just compelling storylines from that Fab Five, and you know, Shep, I love seeing Jawan Howard as the coach of this Michigan team right now. I love the Fab Five, and to see him uh, lead this squad, uh, it, it feels great. Can can you put into words what he brings to that team? Um, I don't know. Is it X's and O's? Is it leadership? Is it the experience of him having been there? I think one you have the respect of your players because the career that he's had in the NBA, they're always going to look up to him because they're always aspiring to be where he's been. Um, the other side to that, he's, he's just a player's coach, man. And, and, you know, I think just based on what I've heard from some of the players and some of the staff that he doesn't put any of the star players ahead of the rest of the team because uh, in fear of diminishing everybody else's is morale and, and, and roles. So I think, you know, when you have a coach like that um, with, his resume and the fact that he's coming and saying, no, everybody on this team plays a role. Uh, you know, a guy like Henry Dickinson or Dickinson, he, a seven footer, his role is, you know, he gets buckets. Uh, uh, Franz Wagner, he gets, he's out there to get buckets. But the guy that, you know, 12, the 12th man on the bench, the role that he plays for the team is just as important as, as those guys, right? So I think when you have a coach that, you know, shares those sentiments, Everybody feels a part of, you know, the, the culture and, and winning there. How do you like uh, their chances against Florida State here in the Sweet 16? No, we're good. We're good. We're going to be high. Oh, I like that. Come we're going to we're gonna be high. Definitely, definitely the toughest game you get you get so far. Toughest game, but this this game against LSU where, where you know, they were tested. I think that's a game you need as a tune-up, um, you know, rolling over in, into your Sweet 16 game and, 
I think it'll be a breeze. I think it'll be a breeze, and they're just gonna keep on rolling. We'll see, we'll see Syracuse. We'll see Syracuse or, or Gonzaga in the chip, and then we'll, we'll take care of what we need to take care of. Nice. Okay, great. All right, Andy. So there, there was a question about Syracuse even making the field after a, a pedestrian regular season, a quick exit in the ACC tournament. Um, but Buddy Beheim, the coach's son, has just been incredible. Fifty-five points in two games. Thirteen of twenty-three from three on the orange you know there's the next legend the next in the line of incredible players to come out of Syracuse which has Mm -hmm. been going on for decades and it it includes you and includes your dad Mm -hmm. um what what are they going to have to do you know they're playing against a a two seed now Houston Cougars what are they going to have to do for for the orange to get past them and perhaps to the final four Mm -hmm. well um to be honest, it's kind of tough to say. It really depends on on how well Houston's able to shoot the ball. I think the zone is is something that you know teams haven't seen before, and once they see it in the tournament, you know it surely is going to test their confidence. You know the the biggest threat matchup wise, obviously in the bracket with Oregon State and Loyola, Houston's shooting thirty six percent from three, which which is it's not a bad clip. But you know they haven't teams that haven't matched up against the two three before is like. It's a bit of a jigsaw puzzle. So hopefully that'll give him some problems early on. And then, you know, Buddy can just continue to go on a tear. You know, he, Buddy, this is an interesting fact, 55 points in his first two NCAA games marked the third most in team history. So this guy is, is I have to say, you know, what, what more can you say about Buddy Beheim? You know, he's a kid that I watched grow up around the program. You know, he's always very shy and quiet, always had a huge smile on his face. And he just, I just remember he soaked up the game. Every practice he was at, you know, he was enamored by the guys. You know, you could tell he's just a basketball junkie. He has a true passion for it. He absolutely worked his ass off to get to where he's at. And, uh, you know, you got to give him credit because you're taking a chance in playing for your dad, you know, dealing with doubters, thinking you got to that level for only one reason. But the kid can flat out play, and he's proven it now in the biggest stage in college basketball. And, uh, you know, I got to shout out Coach Beheim as well, who just earned his 20th Sweet 16 appearance. You know, that's 41st overall, which makes them six all-time. In, in, in NCAA tournament history. So, um, you know, Syracuse is doing this thing. And if Michigan can get past, if they can get past Abilene Christian, I think that we might have a, a nice little Cinderella run in the final four. For Michigan Syracuse <laughs> final four matchup. I'm not even listening to this guy. But no, you know what? It, it's funny. I was, I'm, I'm watching him. I'm reading up a bit more on Buddy. And I'm just, mm-hmm. I, I'm looking at his path, man. Like, I mean, he started as obviously his possibly being a coach, a ball boy. I think yep. there's nobody on that team that wants this more than him, and, and oh, he's showing that. I think, you know, that that's a moment. Bayham may retire after this. If his, if his son can get him into... That's a great way to go out. You know, it'd be like LeBron, great, you know, playing one year with his son and then just calling it a wrap. You know, it's like they're making history together, and that's the, that's the right note to go out on, in my opinion. But like you said, like, there's nobody that really expected him to play on at, at yep. this level. Mm-hmm. On this platform, and you're right. People are always going to question just because of his, his dad being a coach, or whatever the case may be. But yep. he's proven why he's there. And it's funny when you're talking about him, you know, just being around practices and so forth like that, mm-hmm. and being enamored by the by the players. It actually reminds me of of your brother Sammy. Like we, it's the exact same story to a to a T. Yeah, like around the national team, just and now when I see him all grown up, I'm like this can't be Sammy, man. Like, yeah, you're yeah. a grown man. Like he used to. Be on round pack practices with his baseball and just you know doing his little <laughs> yeah. his little dumb handshakes and but everybody loved him like he was a, he was a vibe he was a personality yeah and you needed that amongst a team man like it was just it was liberating it was fun it was like all right, yeah exactly. I mean, everybody's poking fun and, and yeah he's like the team mascot so. man you know it's like right 
It's like that. Good and then energy. now you they grow up and you see them, you know, following the, in the same footsteps of you know all the guys before them. It actually makes you feel like even more accomplished because you had an impact. Yeah, yeah, you blazed that platform, or you gave them right. something to shoot for at the end of the day. Right. And it's uh, it's really funny that you mentioned that to see him in the same capacity. You know, I hope Sammy is uh is able to find himself a good school to get on the right track here. You know, he de- he definitely deserves it. They're both two two of the best shooters that I've ever known. So uh, you know, I think there's there's a there's a place in college basketball history for both these boys. See, and you bring up a good point there. Like both you guys were around gym. Sammy's around the gym, and everybody's a shooter. Like, everybody's a shooter, buddy's man. A, buddy's a shooter. That's like, something in the water in Syracuse, man. Around. Steph, okay, even Steph. Like they've mm-hmm. always been in the gym while Dell was in Toronto, and yep. and we we have like old footage of them at, at uh, Skydome just just shooting. And now they come out both him and Seth snipers. You know, you know what I think I attribute that to? Now that I think about it, is is being a young kid trying to jack it up and press the the older guys. You know, yes. Check out my range. You know, and yes. then it just kind of it kind of <laughs> develops from there, and, and you see that in Steph. You can still see that in his jump shot a little bit. Yep. yep. Oh, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that for sure. Okay, good. a good Skydome reference. Sammy Routens Skydome. is on line one. He'd like to talk to you about what you called his handshake. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, the, the, uh, the upsets in this tournament, I mean, we're seeing one of the greatest, the best number of, of upsets, and I think they rate it now as a uh, your five seeds or less below. But... Um, there, there's been a couple of teams like for me, Oral Roberts just stands out. I cannot believe that that they're in the Sweet 16. Uh, uh, unbelievable. And I, I, I think that the question that I have for you goes back to your days playing in the tournament, which I, I, I love to hear about. Was there ever a situation where you're in the tournament and, you know, maybe you hear about another upset in another region, it, it might not affect you until unless you reach the final four. But do you ever hear about a game like this, an upset where you, you scratch your head and, and you think to yourself, I can't believe, you know, Abilene Christian won, won that, that game. What, do, do you have any personal experience with seeing a, an upset like that take place in a tournament that you were in? I think, well, we went one tournament. So and we were actually the upset. So we were, we were we surprised ourselves. And then we had, you know, I think more than anything, these players are all competitors and we're seeing that right now. So, uh, I don't think they're as locked in on, you know, what other teams are doing, but really focus on what their respective team is doing and, and how they're, you know, how they're playing, right? So, cause they, everybody competes. They want to win. They want to get the job done. I think sometimes if you get caught up, especially if that, if that, you know, that following game, uh, was an upset. You can lose focus, lose track of what your team is doing. Just thinking, oh, I got a lower seed now. Um, you know, we're gonna run them over. So, uh, no, these teams are more, you know, just really locked in and honed in on what they're doing. I think AR would probably have, you know, they went there a couple times. Um, so he probably would have more to speak on with that. But I think for us being the upset, um, it was it it was a you know a moment that you remember forever, right? Like because. Now you start to think, oh no, we're not just in the tournament. Like we can actually win this shit. Like just after one game, one oh, yeah. upset or not, after you win that first game, you always start thinking, like we're in here. Like we can walk away with this chip. It's anyone's but, tournament, you know, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't remember being aware of of other teams outside of our bracket. We heard 
whisperings that Cornell, obviously because we're both in upstate capacities in, in the New York region, like they advanced to the Sweet 16 and as a 12 and they play Kentucky. That's that's all we heard. But the NCAA tournament, like Shep said, is it's a really strange environment. It's a place that you work to get to tires like relentlessly all season long. And in a moment's notice, you could be packing your bags and your season's over. So you really have no time other than your first game to prepare for an opponent. And, uh, you know, given the fact that it's based on who wins, you're often waiting to see and you only have a couple of days to prepare for like a, an entire season's worth of, of personnel and tendencies. So, you know, maybe I was just hyper-focused or the team was, but at that point, I think the only thing you can really do is, is control the controllables. And that's the only team, the only thing that's in front of you. It's crazy. It's, it's a real roller coaster because you know, we don't really speak on how these these players feel after the loss, right? And a lot of, especially right. seniors, like I remember sitting in the locker room deflated after like, whoa, what happens next? Because you leave such a high. The NCAA tournament oh, yeah. is such a high. It's such a high. You feel like, you know, this is the, the closest thing to, it, to to the NBA at this point. And if you have a good run, you know, you're, you're pretty much gone. Like that can change your yeah. financial position of yourself, your family. And even like put basketball aside, like those are there's a lot of eyes, there's a lot of opportunities that can come from that, even from the corporate side of things. Like you can leave the NCAA tournament and walk into, you know, an, an office job tomorrow just off of how you played and and, and just being a 100%. part of a team. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for for seniors, it's tough. Like that last was a goal, and you sit down and and you're deflated. It's like, what do I do oh, next? Man. tomorrow? I, yeah, there's no practice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. You're not supposed to be anywhere at any time. Obviously, you might have things to prepare for draft-wise, but if you're not in that position, it's like, it's like, what do you do next? What's the next step? It's 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 a really scary thing. And not to mention that you're leaving your brothers behind all of a sudden. Yeah, you, know, you got a, another month at school with them to finish out, and then you know that brotherhood, that camaraderie, you know that you built up over four years or however long you were at school is is gone. So it's a it's a tough thing to deal with in a in a in a, in a night's notice. You know, it, mm-hmm. it happens like you said really quickly. So it's 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 definitely an interesting thing. I don't think there's anything like it. Hey, I, I feel that way as an observer of the NCAA tournament. I'm like, this shit's yeah. over. What do I do now? I've been watching it 24 seven for for two and a half weeks. So uh, I can I can only imagine what it's like to to compete at at that level. Guys, Gonzaga, 28 and 0, um, looking good. Maybe not to them. I I think they felt like they didn't play their best game. Um, against Oklahoma in in round two, um, they need four more wins. They will they if they pull this off, they'll be the first undefeated team since Indiana nineteen seventy six. Um, what what do you think, Shep? Like taking your Michigan hat off for a second is does Gonzaga have to be considered still the favorite to win this tournament right now? I think they're really good. You know, it, there's two sides to it. I think. What I'm impressed with the most is, is defensively how they get after it. Individually, they may not be the best defensive talent. They may not be dogs getting after you. But I think the way they, they have guys that, you know, are interchangeable on the perimeter, it's, those are tough defenses to play against. And if guys are in the right spot, they move like, you know, a machine. When guys are in the right spots, it's tough to really score on, you know, those type of defenses that have length on the perimeter that are interchangeable and that they can switch everything. It's like, where do you score? If you don't have a dominant force down low that you can dump it into and just, and that person can get a bucket, then you're going to be hard to beat. And we played a lot. We played against Wisconsin a lot when I was in the Big Ten when I was back at Michigan. And that was a team that was always tough to play against. And the game was long drawn out because they just played on that perimeter defensively, just on the three-point line, almost daring you to shoot. But 
had enough length to contest. And I see that in this Gonzaga team, obviously more talented. Um, I, I think it's right now, if I'm taking my Michigan hat off, it's their tournament to lose. But I still have reservation because their history. Like, they just haven't been able to get over that hill. And secondly, I still think, you know, a team can catch them by surprise because I just don't, I think they're missing, they're, they're missing something. And it, it could be, I just don't see them having that superb athlete. If they, if they come up against a team that's extremely athletic and just gets to running on them, it could be, it could be curtain. Look, Gonzaga, they've had really two convincing wins in the first round. They're playing exactly like who we thought they were. I don't like anybody matching up against USC right now, to be honest with you. I mean, they, they blew out Kansas by 40 points, and that's after they returned to full strength from a COVID protocol. Evan Mobley, a likely top three pick next year, is an absolute monster. He's playing uh, like the top three pick that he's going to be, and his brother Isaiah also you know, had 17 and, and eight last game against, against uh, Kansas. So they're a formidable duo, and, and I think they're playing really good basketball, carefree basketball right now, and that's, that's a dangerous team to play in the tournament. You know, I hate to say it too, you know, you know, Michigan, I hate to say is a heavy favorite right now. I feel a little foolish for playing hey, Texas. Hey, to hey. You know, but in the name of, uh, in the, in the name of things, all things media and being divisive, it was a, it was a bold shot that I had to take a shot. But, uh, but yeah, you know, Michigan's a heavy favorite right, right now. And if Gonzaga can get past USC, I think that they have smooth sailing into the final. Well, interesting, and it, it just shows you that at this point, it really is about uh, it really is about the matchups. I thought USC was pretty unheralded coming in. I mean, we never really never really talked about them or considered them. They are superbly talented, and really, a, lo- a lot of these Pac-12 teams. I mean, the two the two Oregon teams uh, look great at this point. I still just I I I, I think Gonzaga is the team of destiny. Um, I do think they can get a, bu- a bucket down low with Kispert at any time. And I think they have the best player left, um, which is Jalen Suggs. So I don't know. Sorry, sorry, Michigan. I think I think it's going to be Gonzaga, but I think a Gonzaga-Michigan uh, national semifinal would be an incredible game. That's that's my that's my thoughts on the Zags right now. Look, guys, let's I'm off all this love. Michigan love, man. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> it's been enough of the Michigan loving, enough of the Syracuse loving. I appreciate you guys for not bringing up Virginia. Uh, let's. Uh... Oh no, it was coming. Don't worry, don't worry, DJ. It was coming. We had it in the back pocket for you. Okay, okay. Well, you still have about 40 minutes, so uh, <laughs> NBA trade deadline, guys. And as we're talking. A tweet could come in from Woj, news could break, and everything could change while while we're chatting. But the deadline is at 3 p.m. on Thursday, March 25th. When we wake up that day, will Kyle Lowry be a Toronto Raptor, a Philadelphia 76er, or a member of the Miami Heat? Andy, you wanna you wanna start this? Yeah, look, I mean, the Raptors are in a really bad spot right now. Like that's not rocket science. You know, the fact that they, they aren't even in their own country. <clears throat> Already adds to a very stressful season. They've lost nine straight. They dropped, you know, to 11, uh, 11 seed in the East, you know, five games out of eight. You know, they're much more capable, uh, much more than capable, I'm sorry, of going on a run, you know, really bunched up Eastern Conference. I think they're right there. You have to ask yourself, are they deep enough to compete for a playoff spot, you know, or, or contend at the Eastern Conference finals this season? Or did they look to load up on future assets and, and picks, uh, and get a few new fresh faces in there? And look, you know, Kyle's, he's 35 now. And the Raps gave him, you know, his protege $80 million. And I think now is as good as time as ever. And first, let me say, 
with all due respect, Kyle Lowry, thank you for what you've done for this organization. You know, commitment to the city of Toronto and the development of basketball in Canada as a whole. Uh, you know, what he's done as a leader for this city, you know, I think we'll always be indebted to him for. And, and now we can say we're a city of champions because of him. So I think whether he stays or leaves, he has the full support of the city. And obviously we look forward to him retiring as a Raptor one day. But, you know, it's a good as time as ever, you know, to part ways in. Yeah, I think like like AR said, James it is. wants to go not. Um, you know, let him go to, let, go to a retire. Oh, no. Uh, you know, we, just finish, we lost, finishing we lost that for a second there, Andy, but. Shep, you want to go okay. in? Oh, no. Like like AR said, I think, you know, for me personally, I think a lot of this is going to come down to what Kyle wants for Kyle, right? Does Kyle want to play, you know, another seven years as the primary guy or carrying a load? Or does he want a situation where, you know, he can sit back a bit and just play, you know, comfortable minutes and then protect and preserve his body so that he can, you know, extend his career? Um, in basketball years, we were looking at a guy that's getting up there in age. But, you know, in real life, he's, he's still pretty young. So I think if you that this situation is going to come down to what Kyle wants to do. Um, you know, at the end of the day, this trade deadline is also interesting because you don't it's hard to really di- dictate who the, the buyers and the sellers are because, you know, we have this play in system. You know, so teams that are usually, you know, buyers may not be at this time. Teams that are usually sellers may not be. And I think that's where. You know, there's there's this fine line of of what really to do next. And I still, I stick by my guns. I don't think there's going to be much movement uh, just based off of that. In years past, if we're in regular, if we're, you know, traditional season, you know, you would have a clear indication of, you know, your your top six teams that are going to be in playoffs or just fighting for um, home court advantage. And and those teams would maybe be looking for a player to bolster their roster to, to get them into uh, championship contention, whereas right now everything's really a blur, right? Like, and, and and because there's so many variables, or because you know the health and safety protocol can hit any team at any point, that can change the trajectory of, of of any team. You're seeing that with the Lakers. You're seeing that with you know how hard it's hit the Raptors, although they haven't been playing well. On top of that, well, you, you mentioned what what does Kyle want, and in in my heart and mind, I think he wants to at least be in a position where he's competing for a championship this year. So uh, to me, the, the best scenario is put him out on a rental, you know, get get some assets in return, some contracts, maybe a young player, uh, possibly a draft, an extra draft pick. It's going to be a really deep draft this year. And then in the offseason, you can explore re-signing him. You can bring him back. He's going to be a free agent. And, you know, I, I just don't think that his entire future – needs to be settled right now. You know, w- one thing I, I, I saw in, in one of the, you know, one of the rumor mills, but I, I, I found it so intriguing um, because, you know, Miami was the Eastern Conference champion last year, but I still go back to the, the battle in 2016 of, of Toronto and Miami uh, in the playoffs. It went seven games, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, knockoff Dwayne Wade, Goran Dragic and, and the Heat. And now, you you see these two teams linked in in a possible uh, a trade rumor, and I saw Duncan Robinson, Goran Dragic, Kendrick Nunn in, in a package for Lowry, but Toronto's holding out for Tyler Hero, and and I I I put this from the Miami perspective now, and I want to ask you guys, does Miami really think that if they were to acquire Kyle Lowry, 
that that puts them in the mix to to get to the to to get to the NBA finals again. Does Kyle Lowry put them over the edge against the Brooklyn Nets? Does Kyle Lowry do that for the 76ers? I mean, how, how much how much could he really stir the pot of one of these teams that isn't the Nets and help them get to the promised land, which is the play, uh, the the finals? Not enough. <laughs> Definitely not enough. Perfect. But but I'll say this: now you have two pit bulls going into a match. You have Butler. You have Lowry. Like if you when you have guys with that competitive nature, it becomes infectious. Like now everybody on your team is a dog. Not everybody team on your team wants to bite off your opponent's heads. So I think. You know, does it does it elevate your play and raise the ceiling on that in that perspective? Yes, but does that put you over the edge when you're going when you're going going up against a, a team like uh, the Brooklyn Nets? Absolutely not. That team is star. You have Harden, you have KD, you have Kyrie, you have you know Blake like that. That doesn't change much there. But in terms of hey, the battle to that point, yes. Um, Kyle Lowry does help um, Miami, given that now you have two fierce competitors, two relentless competitors um, that are going getting after it. What do you think, Andy? Could do, I, I'm I'm interested by what Shep just had to say there. You know, it, it sounds like you're saying Brooklyn almost is a shoe in to win the East, and there's not really anything that the other teams can do to add. To, to give them an edge. Would you agree Nothing. with that? Nothing. I agree. With I that. think he would have stand a better chance at, at, a, at a championship shot if he was to go to Philadelphia. I just think they have more pieces. They have a little bit more depth. Um, I'm not sure if Miami's keen on giving up Tyler Hero as he's only in the second year of his deal and he's averaging 16, 4, and 5 per game. So he's, he's having a really good second year campaign and that usually is a telltale sign of where guys' careers will go after their rookie year. So... I think obviously with Toronto would see him as a long-term building piece. I'm not sure where Miami stands on the exchange with Kalo, given the fact that, you know, he is 35 and his productivity may be limited going forward, but he's still averaging 18, six and eight per game. I mean, he's having a really good year. So, uh, and, you know, just seeing the way he takes care of his body as well. He's in that category of LeBron for me. Like he's, he's heavily invested in his NBA career and I've seen it firsthand, but um, I think he could fit really well with JB and Bam. You know, their biggest weakness right now is at the point guard spot, you know, as they're trying to, to offload Dragic. And, uh, you know, Tyler Harrow's playing unnaturally at the one. Uh, I think he's struggling to, to shoot the ball and, and, and only 32% this year because he's, he's carrying that load of, of the point guard as well as trying to be a sniper. And it's, it's no easy task. So um, in the short term, in the interim, I think he'd, he'd have a good time in Miami. But I think if he wants to win and, you know, and, and, and bring a championship home. I think there's no better place for him to do it than uh, in Philadelphia. Yeah, that that is a, a very intriguing place to, to see him go. I think the team that could use him the most is the LA Clippers, but they simply don't have the assets to, to really offer Toronto anything in return. And, you know, I just don't think there's going to be anything that can pry away Tyler Hero from the Miami Heat. And, yeah, it, it does seem like the best – the best option for Kyle Lowry might be to just stay in Toronto, ride it out. Um, what what about Norman Powell, guys? He's been in a ton of rumors. He, he's being linked to like 10, 12 teams. Um, someone off the bench who can score points, maybe even fill in as a starter. Do, what do you think is the best the best scenario for him? Is Is there a team out there that is willing to 
give give the Toronto Raptors some sort of asset in return for what Powell brings. I think with Powell, you that he's one of the hottest tickets in the NBA, and he's you know having the best season of his career. I think he may be the one that that, that ends up moving right, and I think with that being said, if he does, if they do end up moving him. Um, I think it's a, a clear sign that the Raptors are going in another direction in terms of, you know, re, like rebuilding, I guess, in a sense, or, you know, reshaping, because at that point, um, you bring in young assets, uh, or, or, or picks, in my opinion. And from what I've seen, it's, you know, there's the asking is two, what was the two picks they're looking for, for, for him. So yeah, I think with him, he's a hot ticket. Um, it would be tough to see him go. I think he's playing exceptionally well. I, I also think he's, he's slightly limited. So if you can get pieces for him, um, that can develop and develop quick, you're not necessarily in a bad position. Look, I, I'm, I'm hearing normal, Norman almost, you know, every single trade package at this point, you know, Brooklyn is one I'm hearing too. And I think that's an interesting one because they have an embarrassment of riches. It would make a lot of sense in terms of them acquiring pieces to offload to Toronto, you know, to bring in a guy like Norm. Um, and good for Norm. I mean, like, he's worked his ass off. I, I think he's having a career year right now. He's averaging 20 points a game. And for him to go to a contender at this point, I think we could really see him flourish. It's either, it's either one of two directions. He flourishes or, you know, he fizzles out because I think that Norm's Achilles heel has always been his mentals. You know, he's no question that he's one of the best athletes in the game. You know, he, he's a capable scorer and he can lock anybody up in a given night. Uh, but, you know, how is he going to gel with a contender? How is he going to find his place on a team that's already been established? Um, so we'll see what happens. But, you know, it'd be nice to keep the boys around. I think they've done so much for us. But at the same time, I think they've, they've earned whatever's coming for them next. Great stuff. And, you know, in the face of these these trade rumors, um, there's been a little bit of controversy in the, this this Pascal Siakam situation, which has really surprised me. <clears throat> there, there have been mixed reports about Siakam's relationship with head coach Nick Nurse. Uh, there was a team-issued $50,000 fine. It's unclear th- the reason why. A report came out, then it was denied by by the team. Andy, is, is Siakam's time as a Raptor starting to run out? Look, I, it's tough to say. I think the Pascal situation is like a really difficult one. Yes, he's been less than stellar in the clutch. Yes, he's showed weaknesses during the bubble. Yes, he's he's clearly frustrated and he's kind of acting out at this point in time. But you know, these are all things to consider. But you paid him one hundred thirty six million dollars. You know, this is this is your guy. So you know, I hate to say that he clearly has value. You know, the Raptor are no slouches at evaluating talent and developing it, so they know what they have in him. I think there just may be some sort of you know ego superstardom thing taking over now that he's handsomely paid. And, you know, not to mention he was a very integral part of the NBA championship team. You know, he's a, he's a champion. So once guys get to that level, it's, it's, it's really hard to uh, kind of, you know, remain humble at all times. So his numbers are still really good. You know, he's averaging 20 and five, five assists is a career high for Pascal. So you can tell he's, he's developing his game in other aspects. Are they superstar numbers? No, but we all knew that Pascal wasn't a superstar. You know, he became the identity of the Raptors, though, and that was with his heart. You know, he ran the floor relentlessly. He found crafty ways to score. He's out dunking in transition and blocking shots. So that's who we fell in love with, but we fell in love with his trajectory. And I think that that's, that's what we're hanging on to right now. 
So he's only 26 right now. He's still a few years away from his prime. You know, and if he stops trying to play like the $130 million guy and he starts playing like the guy that got him there, I think the Raptors won't have any issues. And I think a huge part of that is is him getting back into his element in Toronto and just finding that comfortability again. So, you know, it, it's tough to say what they should do at this point in time. We're not pretty any of that. But, you know, I, I, no doubt that the Raptors will handle it the right way. Mr. Shep, what are your thoughts? I, I, I You know what? AR hit the nail on the head in, in every corner because I, I share the same sentiments. I think a part of this frustration is Pascal has also put a lot of pressure on himself to be this $136 yes. million dollar man. And at the end of the day, you know, they signed him, rewarding him for, you know, the work he had done and, and getting them to where they had previously, you know, champion, you know, getting this championship. So a part of that is, hey, you got to get back to the things that got you here and do, do what you do well. And I think that's what separates a lot of guys in, in, in terms of superstardom and just good players is that they identify what they do well and they excel and they do that at the highest capacity. Um, Pascal is in a situation now where, you know, the team is underperforming. He's, you know, he's supposed to be quote unquote that guy and he's not performing like that, that guy. But at the same time, this was a work in process. This was a work in progress. And we all knew that or we all should have known that because he was far from being a number one option. He was, you know, barely a number two option, but he showed promise. Um, the other aspect to that, the other side to that, that, you know, we don't give enough, we don't acknowledge enough is, hey, this whole team uh, is in unfamiliar territory right now. Like Nick Nurse is, he, he walked into, he took over the reins after, after, um, Dwayne Casey and won a championship that year. All he knows is success. Now you're dealing with adversity. You're dealing with players that are struggling. You're dealing with guys that have new, new, big, new, new big contracts. Um, guys that have come into their own develop. There's a lot of variables. There's a lot of things that have changed over the last two years. So, um, you know, his coaching style may have to adjust as well. Like it's not just uh, solely on the players. I think because Nurse got us to the championship, got us, brought us a ring. You know, his first year. This there's this halo over his over his head and and there's a honeymoon period. Say it again. There's a honeymoon period for sure. Yeah, there's a honeymoon period and. Again, not he's learning just as much as Pascal is learning as a player and developing, you know, coming into his own. So is Nurse at the same time. Like now he's dealing with managing characters, managing players, managing a team that is losing at the NBA level, being the head coach. That's something new for him as well. So it, it goes both ways. Um, and I think both teams will, will grow from it. I think with that being, if you're taking that into consideration, Pascal's time is far from from over because there's a lot of newness right now. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. And Shep, I don't know if you felt this. I think if all athletes have felt this in some capacity is, is when you don't live up to your expectations, you start becoming your own worst enemy. You know, I think that Pascal has set the bar so high for himself that sometimes it comes off as looking selfish or looking ignorant or, or looking as though like, you know, it's him versus the team when really, you know, he's dealing with his own internal expectations of who Pascal should be to a team. And, and, and it's really unfair to kind of put this guy, you know, who worked his way up from the bottom, you know, G league guy, G league MVP. And now, you know, obviously that, that contract is massive, but at the end of the day, you have to consider all the factors and the stresses. Um, and, and we know he's more than capable. So if he can get out of his own way, you know, maybe, like I said, sports psychology is probably at its peak right now in terms yep. of, 
what it can do for, for guys in the sport. And I think that, you know, a lot of teams need to heavily invest in that and uh, to, to maximize, you know, the strength of their athletes. The mental game. Yeah. And, you know, the, the other side to that, too, is maybe the Raptors missed. Maybe they gave him too much. Could be. At the time. Yeah. Um, maybe he's meant to be a great number two option. Yeah. That, you know, that there's nothing wrong with that as well, right? Right. I mean, you need your Pippen. If you're going to be a championship team, you need a Pippen, right? So I don't think they're wrong for paying him. I think that's the going rate in the league now is, is if you ball out in the playoffs, you're going to get that. They're talking about Duncan Robinson making 20 million a year. Yeah. Like, and this is the standard these days. So yeah, and and that's the thing when you when you talk about him being overpaid, he was going to get that money regardless. For sure, some somebody so was going to give it to him. We didn't overpay him; we gave him the market value for him. For sure, that's for right. Sure. That's right. And and I'll say, guys, I'm just hearing hearing the stories. I haven't followed it that closely, but it it's very surprising to me to see this going on because you know that that the roster that's been there really over these last six, seven, eight years, it's. It's been there's been a lot of harmony. It, it's unusual to hear of, of some co- some controversy. It, it does seem like there's a schism in the relationship between coach and player, nurse and Siakam, and you know, ho- hopefully for the team and for the franchise, uh, these guys are going to be able to you work. Know what, you know what? As well, DG is this this condensed season um, plays a factor as well because. You know, early on in the season, we, we there was many conversations, many rumors of this team, you know, dysfunctional, blow them up because of you know they were struggling. Now they they you know they go on a little tear, they end up in a position where they're fighting for a top four position. All of this is silence. All of the, the rumors that we're having, we had then, and the, the stuff that's been stirred up now, were silence. And I think Ar, you know this best as well. Winning solves a lot of this, right? Like, and and the fact that you know this seven game winning streak, it happened. Sorry, seven game losing streak happened in such a short span because of the condensed condensed season. We're almost it's almost overloading and you know just thrown in your face or pushed down your throat. Mm-hmm. Again, if this team, if if the coaching staff didn't get wiped out and players didn't get wiped out with the health and safety protocols, um, we may be looking at a team that's still uh, fighting for a top four position. Not that it matters because they'll be they'll be playing away anyways. But then these rumors, these, you know, Kyle Lowry, um, what's his name, Uh, Pascal being, you know, not a team guy, or we may not be having those conversations. So they'd be in the the mix of who are they getting. We'd be talking about who are the Raptors going after, like like Marcus Hall a couple of years ago. They're Uh, they're the only team in the league that have to deal with this situation. And and it's heavy. You know, they're they're in a whole entirely different country. They're out of their comfort zone, right? So, I mean, you look at Steven Silas, you know, inheriting that, Houston team and they've lost 20 in a row you know how much how much of that is by circumstance and how much of it is because uh you know it's Steven Silas coaching you know I think there's so much discord just based on the current events of the world so you know it's it's definitely you got to take everything with a grain of salt uh, grain of salt this year even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, it's time for 
hashtag TDITRH, this date in Toronto Raptors history. I know I was there. March 24, 2002, with 19,800 tense fans looking on on a Sunday matinee, time expires as Michael Jordan misses a shot at the buzzer, giving the Raptors a 92-91 win over the Washington Wizards at Air Canada Centre. Just moments before, with under 20 seconds left, Antonio Davis had stolen the ball from Jordan, who was playing off the bench and goes the length of the court to score the winning bucket on a layup. With Vince Carter shut down for the season, the Raptors tie the Wizards for ninth with their second consecutive win, a win streak that would eventually reach nine and push Toronto into the playoffs for the third straight year, all with Carter on the sidelines nursing jumper's knee. It was Antonio Davis that year who put the team on his back, and it really showed in that game. He just wanted it more than anyone, more than even Michael Jordan. This has been this date in Toronto Raptors history. I know I was there. Check it out on Twitter at hashtag TDITRH. And of course, our Twitter and social media at Jim Raps Podcast. Guys, the Raptors have lost nine in a row at present and play the Denver Nuggets Wednesday night. But the game is making headlines in Canada because the broadcast will be exclusively hosted and spoken about by women. Guys, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, it's great, man. The the Raptors organization, I've said it before, have always been forward thinking. Uh, right now, they become trendsetters with this, right? And 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 for those women that are going to be involved, uh, Dan, you know them pretty well. As pretty you're pretty close with them as well. Um, Amy Otterbert, Megan McPee, Kayla Gray, um, Kate Burnett, uh, and Kia Nurse. I think it's you know this is a trailblazing moment for those women because you know all of them have been working tirelessly at their craft as well um and and are definitely you know more than qualified to not only just sideline reporters now but be you know the expert right kia herself like she's played she's played at a high level but at the same time the message that it sends for young women um and, and you know women that aspire to be young girls and women that aspire to be in the same in similar position now that door is open the landscape is paved these women are going to be a part of that. We're going to be speaking about them, you know, 20, 30 years ago to say, hey, they, they broke barriers. And then, um, you know, for them, it's it's like it's exciting times for their own respective careers. AR, you want to add to that? Uh, look, I think it's it's really exciting to see. It's, it's a beautiful thing for, for the younger generation, you know, as Chef alluded to, to, to be able to tune in and, and know that women do have a place in professional sports, you know, regardless of gender. So I think... What makes it even more special is is that it wasn't just given to them. They've earned it, and, and they're very, very well-versed with, with basketball acumen. So I'm happy to say that, you know, we've had a couple of these super talented and well-spoken women on our pod, and Amy Otterberg and Megan McPeak. So I think it makes it even more exciting to be, you know, affiliated with them and, and, and see them come up through the, you know, through the grassroots of this uh, communications, uh, media, you know, the media, world the media, of, world yeah, of media. exactly, exactly. I, I just think it's a, you know, it's a stellar lineup and I'm excited to see how well they gel together on TV. And, and, and I think that, you know, like you said, it's, it's, it's something that for this younger generation to shoot for it, uh, just to know that there are no bounds just based off gender. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And, Andy, you, you'll, I imagine you'll be watching the game with your dad. Absolutely. 
I mean, probably the I think first may, time ever. I think he may be. I think he may be around. You know, the studio just to kind of see the ins and outs and, and maybe offer you know a piece of advice here and there, which I think is is also a great thing to be able to watch that and and, and see how the you know MLSE is progressing is 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 a beautiful thing. And for those people to have kind of started and, and, and been there from the inauguration to help this generation break through, I think is a beautiful thing. Well, I think it's a step in the right direction, and uh, obviously more needs to be done to get to uh, real equality. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament uh, getting on TSN this year. The next thing I'd like to see beyond all this is a commitment from the national sports networks in Canada to air Canadian women's sports. It's it's great to see uh, women on the job in TV, uh, I think we really need to see more Canadian women athletes getting their due. And to me, that means um, an investment in televising women's sports in Canada, Canadian women's sports. I, I want I, I want to see more of it uh, on the airwaves. And I think that's going to happen in the next two to five years. Um, guys, back to some uh, on the court uh, issues. LeBron James suffers a high ankle sprain this week. He's out indefinitely. Anthony Davis also out. The Lakers were crushed Tuesday night by the New Orleans Pelicans. Do do the Lakers have time to position themselves to make another championship run, or is is their season getting derailed? Man, the Lakers will be fine. Every time LeBron goes down, he acts like he got shot. He'll be, he'll be back in two weeks. I ain't no friend, though, Shep. You know the one, LeBron. Those when are is the last time LeBron has gotten hurt? He doesn't get hurt. So I, I, I yeah, that's why it's so surprising. They'll be, obviously, they'll take a, a hit back. But at the same time, I think this is also an opportunity for them to get rest, right? I think the big hit is the fact that both of them are out at the same time right now. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a couple weeks. But this is, injuries are inevitable. Like, we're, we're talking about a contact sport here. It comes with the territory. You just don't want to see guys go down with season-ending injuries or career-ending injuries. Rolled ankle, high, low, wherever the case may be, this, this comes with the territory. Maybe I'm a, I'm a bit dramatic because I feel every time LeBron gets hurt or you feel like his whole leg fell off. But LeBron's LeBron, like he get, he can get away with it. You don't you don't know what kind of narratives he's playing with behind the scenes. You really don't. You know, look like we all know how well LeBron takes care of his body. So for him to be out, like they're saying a month, that's significant time for a guy who puts millions of dollars into his body and usually bounces back pretty quick. So he may be taking like a little midseason break, waiting for AD to come back you know, acquire some pieces in the, in the trade deadline. Because word on the street is they're looking for long-term solutions to complement LeBron and AD right now. So it could be just a nice little break right before they ramp it up. But, you know, the dangerous thing now is that they're four games behind Utah. And in their next 10 games, they play Philly, Milwaukee, LA, Miami, and Brooklyn. So it's going to be tough to compete with Portland and Denver and Dallas, who are all making a second-half push. You know, it, it's it's a catch-22 for this team right now. You know, do you, do you interject LeBron a little bit early to try to stay afloat? You know, do you try to wait till the trade deadline and, you know, see what happens? But either way, I think they'll be fine. Like Shep said, they have too much star power. Side note, that push that you're talking about, it matters now because oh, yeah. I've seen that some of the some of the arenas are actually uh, dedicating areas of the arena for uh, fans that have been vaccinated. So oh, I nice. think by the time we get to by the time we get to playoffs, we're going to see a good sum of fans in in the arenas, which it, it matters for home credit advantage. Right. Um, it really does. Are going to see a full stadium? Probably not. But the fact that you know vaccines rolling out and now you're, you're making adjustments to accommodate both vaccinated fans and non-vaccinated fans that means 
we're gonna have some people in there. So you're right. There could be like this this fight for positioning matters. I wonder. Do you, is is the do they have to have both shots to enter the arena? Is that something that you read in the article, or is it just you gotta have? Season? Yeah, you gotta have. You gotta be fully vaccinated uh, and for fourteen have had it for fourteen days, and then. Oh, I so I mean, it's your... going to be a bunch of geriatrics who are sleeping by halftime. So <laughs> not much of an impact at all. <laughs> you gotta have, but it, it actually brings me to something like it's off topic. But now you have to, I guess, you have to have your vaccination passport to enter the arena. Oh. How much is that going to matter, like in the real world now? Like to do I, that's anything, an interesting you're going to have to have. Yeah. I know this. It's a it's a hoops podcast, but yeah, like, shit. I, that's the first. We can go off the rail, no problem. It makes you wonder about mean? limiting travel and travel restrictions, and, and you know, having having to have a, a specific COVID passport. Think about what that does to international yeah. travel. People who don't have the means, like you would normally be traveling. Well, you even have to have this thing in your in your wallet, like your license. Yeah, yeah. Even even within your community, I mean, it's almost. I don't want to compare it to to discrimination, but if you know, there are going to be people out there who opt not to get the vaccine, so yeah. they're not going to be let into certain grocery stores, restaurants. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, uh, it raises some serious questions. It's, it's funny you say that regarding segregation because it's one of the first thoughts that came to my mind. I Automatically, I just envisioned the arena. And, and they did say there's going to be separate entrances, separate bathrooms for those that are vaccinated versus wow. but in my head. That's already created a, you know, one side maybe frowning upon the other. A major divide. Yeah, a divide within, just, just within there. I was like, we're, we're, in a time right now where we're fighting for equality and, and diversifying and at the same token we're One still creating like this ever. is yeah like this is this is a divide yeah so it, it's just a it's interesting interesting concept there's no right there's no wrong but it's just intriguing to me just considering where we are fighting for equality when we're creating a line yeah 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 like is there is there a bigger is there a bigger thing at play here you know mm-hmm. rather than just getting the vaccine it's 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 definitely right. an interesting concept this would be a a nice joe rogan conspiracy theory <laughs> we could shoot the shit on one of these podcasts one time all right DZ, oh, reel yeah. us back in reel us back in <laughs> well, <I'm, laughs> hey, let, why don't we get the two of you on joe rogan sometime or or maybe we have we do gym rats and joints the social science hey. episode and, mm-hmm. and and we go deep but it it, it is interesting and and you know Thanks More for bringing than Jim <laughs> Well, I think every anyone who listens knows that's the case. <laughs> okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna bring it back to basketball. We only have a few minutes left anyway. Um, I, I have all these topics, but I to me, Lamelo Ball deserves to be discussed here. Um, was having an awesome rookie year, and that looks like it's over. Uh, very very unfortunate because this is a, a really dynamic young player. The Hornets were on pace to be in the playoffs. And I think LaMelo Ball would have been one of the stars of the NBA playoffs, you know, at least in the opening round. I'm not going to sit here and say I had the Hornets getting to round two, but, you know, that that's someone you can market the league with. Um, that that's that, There's some superstar uh, stuff there. Now he's got the fractured wrist after a tough landing. It's unlikely he'll play again this season. Two questions there. Did the Hornets make the playoffs without him? But also, does this open the door now for Anthony Edwards, the number one pick, to kind of jump in there and, and maybe reclaim that Rookie of the Year award? He, Anthony Edwards is averaging 25.7 points a game since the All-Star game. So to, to me, the, the question is, how does it affect both of those topics? I think it's still a runaway for, for LaMelo. Really? Um, the fact, yeah. Because I, and I'm I'm an Anthony Edwards fan. I'm a big fan. He's a big wing. I, I see I see myself in him, right? So I, I hey, I like that. <laughs> wow, okay. I like that. I, <laughs> but I I think the fact that 
You're not done no. playing motherfucker. No, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I think the fact that he he can sell seats, man. Like he's marketable. That counts for something. Like that's a when you're talking about rookie of the year, when you're talking about the NBA that's revenue driven, that counts for something. He's gonna be marketable for the next, you know, twenty years. Whereas and, and then you couple that with the fact that Charlotte's winning. You know, they're having a really good season, putting themselves in a position uh which play, you called at the position. beginning of the you called that at the beginning yeah, of the year. Yep. Yep. You were the only one. Right. And and Anthony Edwards' team is sitting, you know, last to West. So his impact, like he's he's scoring, but how much impact are you having? Are you impacting winning? Melo's impact on winning, and that and that's going to be um, the difference. First of all, I think the real MVPs are the Charlotte broadcasters, the announcers. I don't know if you guys have heard them, but they never miss. <laughs> Every single highlight is just a quotable off the bat. So right. shout out to the broadcasting team. But look, I I share the same sentiments with Shep. You know, their stats are, are eerily similar. Lamelo is averaging sixteen, uh, six and, and six. Edwards is averaging almost. 17, 4, and, and, and 3 right now. So I don't think any, I don't think anybody else is even close or in contention for, for rookie of the year outside these two. Lamelo should flat out win the rookie of the year, in my opinion. Obviously, if he can't finish the season out, it's only fair that, that Edwards would get the award considering how well he has been playing since the end of, uh, since the all-star break. But the true rookie of the year is Lamelo. I think him completely changing the culture of a franchise in his rookie season is, is wild, especially to do it under Michael Jordan's tutelage, which is like the most pressure you could have as a rookie, in my opinion. But the Timberwolves are the Timberwolves. Like they're one of the losingest franchises in all of sports. They're the league's worst record at 10 and 33. They're not marketable. So the Hornets are 21 and 21, seventh in the East, you know, a far cry from 23 and 42 last season. So I think he's made watching the Hornets fun. I think he's he's changed the energy and the camaraderie on the team. It's very visible. You can see it with the handshakes. You know, guys are laughing and enjoying playing basketball. And none of these intangibles show up on the stat sheet. So I think that he's a runaway for it. You know, and, and I'm hearing whisperings that he could make it back before the end of the season. But that's a risk-reward situation, you know, depending on where they're at. So so who knows? But I'm hopeful that LaMelo gets it. Guys, there, there was one uh, one basketball story we didn't get to last week, and I kind of regretted it. And I want to I want to throw it up uh, at you today as we, as we wrap up. Um, Robert Sacre, Bobby Sacre, a friend of this show, uh, took uh, a position similar to what you guys have in the Canadian Elite Basketball League, and he's assistant general manager of the Fraser Valley Bandits. So your friend now, you know, former teammate, and now you're competing against him. Uh, I, I really just wanted to get your thoughts on Sacre joining the CEBL in that capacity. It's free smoke when we see them. <laughs> yeah. We want it all, Chef. We want it all. <laughs> we got to get, uh, get the Fraser Valley-Ottawa game onto CBC. I might have to make a call on this one. Look, look, Ottawa was at the forefront of, you know, the whole AGM situation, I would know. So it's cool that they took a page out of our book. But look, in all seriousness, <laughs> I think we couldn't be happier to have a person like Rob in that position. I think it's such good visibility for the league. I think it speaks volumes about where the league is going, you know, that people want to sign and hop on and, and, and be involved with the CEBL and to, and to have a guy like Rob with his resume. You know, a guy who's played years in the league and, and he wants to be affiliated speaks, you know, volumes as to where this league can go. Um, and it's and it's obviously no joke. So we're happy to have Rob and, and we think he represents the league very well. Absolutely. We don't wish them well again. Nah, it's it's (laughs) over for them. But I think it just, it speaks, you know, congrats to Rob, you know, a new chapter in his, in his life for him and his family. But, uh, 
where the league's concerned, I think AR hit it again. You know, this just shows the growth of the league, growth of Canadian basketball. And again, you know, kudos to Mike Morreale and Richard Petko for an, an inclusive league, right? Like these are, you know, it's never been done before. And you're bringing back a lot of the guys that were part of the, part of a, a big movement and just changing the landscape, changing the culture of, of Canadian basketball and then seeing it develop and roll into, you know, the players and the culture that we see in the NBA now. So, you know, this is just another step in building something that we've been missing for years and just having our own domestic league. And, and you have the right guys on board that are not just business-minded guys or numbers, dollars and cents, but guys that have walked and lived the, the paths of, you know, many of the players that are going to be in the league and can speak to both sides, uh, the business, the corporate front office, as well as players. And you see that, you see that, that sort of system uh, in the NBA, and I think they're doing a really good job of mirroring that. Well, you, you love to see it. I love seeing guys like yourself, Bobby Sacre, getting these front office positions in professional basketball and, you know, who knows where that can lead. That's it for Jim Rats and Joints. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're on social media at Jim Rats Podcast. Special thanks to our producer extraordinaire, Dan Wong. Follow him on social at Dan Wong Says. You can follow Javon Shepard on social at Javon Shepard. Andy Routens is on Instagram at Andy Routens. I'm Dan Gladman, and you can find me on social at DG on the road. Good luck to Michigan and Syracuse in the Sweet 16. I very much look forward to Shepard versus Routens. One happy trade deadline day. We'll see what happens in the Kyle Lowry sweepstakes. Thanks for listening to Jim Rats and Joints. We'll do it again next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.